0: Welcome to the Fraudology Podcast, where every week we will dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of a veteran fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. I've focused my life and career on online fraud prevention for over 15 years, working with hundreds of the most well-known e-commerce companies to help them prevent payment fraud and abuse. Welcome back. I am so glad you're joining me for this episode. 2020 has been a challenge. It's been hard as anything. You know, I would be willing to bet that most of you are in a different position than you were last year. Maybe not in your job or your role, but, you know, your circumstances are different. Some people were furloughed. Other people were laid off. Other people still have their jobs, but have like seven other, you know, job descriptions on top of the job that they had. Other companies are swimming in business, but that also means that they're swimming in fraud. And then on top of that, most of us are working from home. And if you have kids, they're on Zoom school and you are now the Zoom lunch lady or uh, lunch man and the room monitor and also trying to manage that with your own Zoom calls. Like it's a lot. I think If anyone says that they haven't been stressed out or at their wits end or haven't, you know, just really been stressed out with how uncertain things are, I think we'd be lying to ourselves and others. I've definitely had one hell of a 2020, you know, aside from all the shared experiences, I wasn't sure how my business would continue for a few months and really had to restructure some things and, and change some things around and. I'm very grateful that I've come out of that and that things are looking well, but it's very stressful when you rely on yourself for your paycheck, but it's stressful everywhere. And I know that just a lot of us have been dealt a lot of uncertainty. I also choose to look at the resilience that I've had this year and just how I've proven to myself that i can get through a lot. And I've proven that over and over in my life. But I think every time it gets a little bit easier because I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. So the next time there's a challenge, it's going to figure itself out. I'm not quite sure how, but it's going to be better. So definitely not trying to be Susie Sunshine here because I have had my days where (laughs) I haven't necessarily had that faith. But There are a lot more days than others that I do have faith that things will work out and I'm grateful that so far that's happening, but you may not be in that same spot right now and that's okay. So that was one of the reasons why I asked or maybe begged Jacqueline Hart to join me for this episode if you are a longtime fan of the online Fraudcast, the former podcast that I was a part of, I did interview her towards the end of that podcast. I can't remember what the number of the episode was, and that was amazing. And she really got to share a lot about her career path and some of the fraud that she was seeing when she was at Patreon. She was the head of trust and safety there. She's also worked for PayPal, Ingenico, Patty Betfair, and I might be leaving one out. But anyway... I saw Jacqueline speak at a Women in Trust event in San Francisco, I think maybe three years ago now, and I instantly was like, I want to be friends with her. (laughs) That sounds so silly now, but like she was talking about some of her own struggles in bragging and not wanting to feel like she was bragging in her career and how challenging that is. And I think that that's probably primarily a female challenge, but you know, if you're a guy, you may have that problem, too. I I don't know, because I'm <laughs> not a guy in fraud. So I only know what I know. But it just really resonated with me. And I really appreciated her bravery and vulnerability. And so I kind of rushed up to her like a fangirl at the end. And then we kept in touch and we became fast friends. And turns out we had a lot of friends in common. And we have a lot of shared interests. So you'll probably hear that come through on the interview, but. Jacqueline is just somebody that I think of when I think of resilience and badassery. And I know she's going to roll her eyes when she hears me say that, but it's the truth. She's reinvented herself several times and is just wicked smart about fraud and trust and safety and risk. And she knows everything from, you know, chargeback prevention and fraud and trust and safety to content moderation and anti-money laundering laws. Like I've picked up the phone and called her a few times (laughs) to get some, you know, information because those are areas that I don't know as well as she does. She's worked in Ireland. She's worked in Amsterdam. She's worked out of the Bay Area. She started out in Omaha, Nebraska. So you'll hear a little bit of that today. But a lot of what I wanted her to talk about was kind of what she's learned when she's fallen down and when she hasn't known what's going to happen and kind of how she gets back up again, as well as some of her tips and tricks for applying for jobs and interviewing for jobs. I know that this is a topic that I get a lot of questions about or emails from people just saying it's been really hard and I'm not trying to minimize how tough it is out there. I just wanted to provide some resources and maybe some perspective from someone who has done this a few times. There is an old debate. I mean, I don't know if it's old, but it does seem like it's a you know fairly common debate within fraud. You know, there are some people that choose to stay at the same company for 20 years and then there are others that, Move every a few years. And sometimes that's because they want a new challenge. Other times that's because they're ready for the next step. And maybe that's not something that they feel like has the best path for them at their current company. Maybe they've plateaued different things like that. And that's more the camp that Jacqueline fits in. And I know that there are a lot of people this year that, you know, became unemployed very unexpectedly. And that is a tough pill to swallow. And that is really hard. And Jacqueline talks about how, you know, she's taken that personally in the past when she was laid off and how now she knows that most of the time it's not about her. And I think that that helps. So anyway, I'm going to turn over the interview in just a second. I also wanted to say that a few episodes ago, I mentioned that I was starting a group for female fraud fighters. Uh, I'm calling it F4 for short, and it stands for fearless female fraud fighters. I... I'm so excited about this, you guys. I've been thinking about this for well over a year. I've known that there needs to be some kind of group for women in fraud and payments as well. So if you are in payments, you're very welcome to join as well. But for a long time with some personal development elements to it, as well as networking and just supporting each other. And the kickoff for this group is actually going to be a retreat at the end of January. And as I'm recording this, we're still finalizing the date, but I know that soon I'll have more information about it. So I'm going to hope and try to put it in the show notes of this episode. If not, please go to my LinkedIn and it will be there. If you're interested, there is a fee, but we're keeping it really reasonable. I believe it's under a hundred dollars U.S. The time zone is you know U.S. centric, but if you're able to join or if you want to hear a recording, you certainly can Register. And also if you're in a time zone that, you know, there are other fraud fighters, maybe we can do something in yours next. I just I'm conscious that this is very quickly become an international podcast, but I've got to start somewhere. So that's where I'm starting. There will be more opportunities for fraud fighters to connect with each other. Fraudology listeners, especially in the new year. So not just for female fraud fighters, but that's where I'm starting. So we'll have a retreat and then it will turn into a monthly membership group. And guys, I just can't tell you how excited I am and how much work I've done on this. And there's a lot of things that have worked for me. And I even mentioned a couple of them in this episode that have been extremely helpful for me in my growth. And that's really just what I want to share with other women in the industry. I don't want to be the only recognizable name in this industry. I want there to be so many of them. And I don't think I'm the only recognizable name, but I know I'm one of them. So with that, I am going to let you listen to my interview with Jacqueline. I just, I have All the feelings. I hope you really enjoy it. I would love to hear what you think about it. I know I've heard from so many of you that want to hear from fraud fighters and their journey. So here's the opportunity. And with that, I'll let you listen to Jacqueline and I. So I am so happy today to bring on someone who I consider a very good friend. I think I consider a lot of people in fraud friends, but Jacqueline was just somebody who I instantly feel like we had a connection. And I actually heard her speak at an event and went up to her afterwards like a fangirl and was like, oh my gosh, I have to know you and we need to be best friends, which I'm sure she was like, okay, crazy lady. But I think we've only been friends for a few years, but we have so much in common and our paths have overlapped so much. And I've, Feel like we've known each other forever. So, with that, I am welcoming Jacqueline Hart, who has been in fraud fighting for, oh, I think about the same amount of time as I have. So, with that, Jacqueline, you know, you shared a little bit about your career path on the previous episode. You were so kind to come on the online broadcast towards the end and do an interview. And I just had to have you on fraudology too, but a whole new set of topics. But I thought for those people that didn't get to hear more about your career path, would you mind sharing a little bit about how you got started and the windy path to where you are now?
1: Absolutely. So yeah, so my path is similar to so many people who get into fraud. I was going to school to be a teacher. And I had a friend that was like, Oh, there's this place, and you can go to school during the day, and then you can reset passwords at night and do customer service. And it was called PayPal. And nobody could remember the name. They were like, Where do you work? PayPay, PenPal, you know, those types of things. And while I was there resetting passwords, somebody was like, "Oh, there's this department. And it's super cool. You get to bust bad guys." And I was like, "Well, that totally sounds like my jam." And so I applied to work in what was the fraud department. And they had two fraud departments. There was fraud prevention and merchant fraud. So it was like money coming into the system, and then obviously looking at merchants. And so I was part of fraud prevention. So it was like you know looking at spoofed accounts and people sending payments and stolen credit cards and, and all that type of thing. And I what year sort of- was that? Like what year did you start? Oh, three. It was 2003. And I'm from Nebraska. So I was at the PayPal in Omaha, Nebraska. That was going to be the next thing I asked you
0: for anyone who's like, I live in a small town. I don't know how I can start. I mean, maybe it's changed now, but I was in a small town too. So
1: (laughs) no, no, that was absolutely how I got my start. And I know that you and I were talking before this, but I was super, super lucky in that, well, I had a really bad manager, which is one of the reasons I was very lucky because I was like, oh, if that guy can do this job, I can certainly do this job. So the next time that there was a manager role open, I was like, well, I'm certainly posting for this. And I got turned down. I think I was turned down. It was like a, a joke that I had with my friends that I would just apply for jobs and get turned down. It was probably 10 or 15 jobs that I got turned down for. for that's good practice real, though. Great. <laughs> practice. And that's what I was going to say is I was like, I was so good at the interview questions. I knew every question they were going to ask me. And you know, I just kept looking at it as like, I'm going to keep hitting my head against this until I finally get that role. And then somebody took a chance on me and- I probably wouldn't take a chance on me now, today, but 15 years ago, they did, and PayPal would train you on how to become a manager, and so that everybody had the mm. same way of managing, so it was a consistent experience. So it was the best thing that ever happened to my career, and they let me have an overnight team, which I think a lot of people were like, "Ew, I'm not going to work overnights," and I was, "I'll do anything I, <laughs> I want to do this thing." And I worked in seller risk management and buyer risk management. And we did mediation of disputes at that time, like PayPal disputes. And then I worked in executive escalations. And so it was some of the maddest customers, people who were threatening to sue us and you know, manage people in those areas. So then after that, well, I guess one of the things that I should say is because you, know, you wanted to talk about adversity. When I worked at PayPal, the OA crisis happened and they were doing layoff. And so I was laid off. And what was really amazing at that time is they offered me a lower job and I was in a position where I couldn't say no because yeah. I wasn't looking. You know, I, just, I thought I was going to work there for the rest of my life. And so I had to say yes. And so I went and I took the lower job. And I don't regret it because what else was I supposed to do? I'd applied for a few jobs, but the turnaround time of making that decision was really short. And so I was like, I have to do this and made a promise to myself that I would never be in that position to let Mm. that happen to me again. So that if I ever was laid off, that I'd be like, peace, I'm done, and just walk away. But yeah, that was a very valuable lesson. And then I mean there were many valuable lessons PayPal taught me because also, you know, when I stuck around a little bit longer. I had a headhunter reach out to me and, you know, they were like, Hey, there's this other role. It's at this other bank in Omaha. And I was like, sure, I'll interview. And I thought, Oh, I'll come back and get like a counter offer. Mm. And when I came, my boss was like, nah, you're well compensated for what you do. And I was like, Oh, I'm going to have to go take that job now. And it was like, scariest thing that's ever happened to me (laughs) is I was like, I'm going to have to go take that job because I know where I stand now. And that was such valuable information, just knowing that I was never going to go further and knowing how they felt about me that I was like, fine. And when I waltzed out and I took that job and I took that scary leap, like in Indiana Jones and the last crusade, when he steps out on the ledge, (laughs) you're like, Oh, there is a path, right? It's always what I tell people. And that's how it was. And that's, I've never looked back from there.
0: That is such a good analogy. I feel like that's the analogy for every change I've made too. And there's been a bunch, I mean, you know, moving when anytime you have to move for a job or anything like that too, it's just like this huge leap of faith. We never know what's ending is right. Like there were two things that really stuck out to me that you said. One was that having a really bad manager actually helped you understand that you could be a manager too. I think When I've had a really bad manager, at least especially in the early on in my career, I thought that obviously they knew something that I didn't because they were a manager and that they must be right that I'm not good or that I do this or I do that or whatever it was that they would say to put me down. I don't think until much later in my career did I think, oh, if they can do that, I can do that. So I love that, like that reframe, especially being as young as you were and being a woman in our industry, like that's so
1: badass. I was young and arrogant, maybe we should say, because like, I think I didn't even realize, you know, you don't even realize what you don't know at that point. And the hard thing is to me, I was like, oh, and one of the things that drove me crazy about this boss, there were several things, but it's things that I said to myself, I will never ever do this to people Mm. is he would surprise you with things like it would come to your review and he would say, oh, you did a really bad job on that. Or would like give you coaching, like things that you should have had all throughout the last three or six months, however long the appraisal period was Right. said to myself, like I never want to surprise people with information. And I always say that even to the managers who worked for me is do not ever surprise people with new information Mm. in their review. Like it should just be all the things you've already talked about. And so I actually appreciate that old boss so much because there were so many things that he did that I was like, well, that's not fair. That's not right. I try to never do that to people who work for me now. I
0: think that's so true that we can either go with just repeating the same habits. And this goes from all the way back to childhood and parenting, you know, all the things like we can just keep repeating the cycle or we can take it as I know how shitty that felt for me. So I'm not going to do that when I'm in that position. And you also knew that you were going to be in that position one day, which I think is so important too. Another thing was, I thought that, you know, when you said that you got another job offer and you thought you'd just counter. And I love that because so many times, and I think, you know, there's a lot of people that up until this year, they thought that they'd always stay at the same job. And there are a lot of people, and I've been this way, (laughs) different points in my career too. So I'm not just talking about other people. Sometimes the known, even though it's uncomfortable and it's miserable and it's horrible, the known is more comfortable than the unknown. It's super scary to take that Indiana Jones leap of faith. And so instead it's, well, I mean, at least I know where I stand and oh, maybe they're right. Maybe I'm not better worth you know something else, or maybe I'm not ready for management or at a different place. So I love that about your story too, from that time that you took that as, okay, now I need to find another job. Some people would take that as, well, I guess I just need to stay here forever because I am not going to make it out in the big, bad world.
1: The thing that you said there, I always use this analogy and it's probably terrible, but like jobs are like relationships. And so mm-hmm. like, man, you know, you've just been living with that boyfriend for so long and you're just so comfortable. But at a certain point, you know, you're like, man, yeah, you've got to move on. And, you know, you're like, you're rationalizing his bad behavior <laughs> and, and that kind of thing. And it's <laughs> like, I was just going to say that. And that's the hard thing is I'm like, if I would not do that in my personal life, if I would not let someone treat me like this in my personal life, why would I let someone treat me like this in my professional life? Mm. And so I feel like that's an important line to draw. Oh
0: my gosh. Yeah. There was a role I was in that a few friends of mine said, if this was a relationship, you would be a battered wife. You're giving excuses for them, you know, and you keep going back. Instead of, giving them less of you when they completely crap on you. You're giving them everything you have to try to justify why you're worthy. And like that helped me because I was like, I hadn't really seen it like a relationship before. I just thought this was just what you do. And because they have the paycheck, right? Like they have the control over you, you know, and like I did at that part of my life, when you have a lot of your identity wrapped up in where you work and what you do that can make it even harder to leave. So, so much is true in those parallels. And yeah, so I did want you to talk about adversity today. And here's why, like for the listeners, I actually had a whole bunch of other questions like written up and everything, but the more I hear from other people in our industry recently, and just people in general too, it's not specific to our industry. If anything, I think they're probably less layoffs in our industry than in some other industries like sales, marketing, etc. But that was a very blanket statement. It really depends on the type of company and where they're based and how much they care about risk and all the other things. But there's just a lot of us who have had the rug pulled out from underneath us this year. You and I are not alone in that. We both had some pretty big things happen this year. And I think that too often... I've said this on a previous episode too, when I you know, shared my story warts and all was too often, I think I may do a disservice by showing myself in the third quarter of the game. Gosh, I hope I'm not in the third quarter of my life. When you've been in an industry that's as new as we have, we're considered the veterans and like, I just turned 40 this year. So like it's crazy to me, but like it's people comparing their first quarter to our third or fourth quarter, so to speak is what I think I'm trying to say. As far as their career goes, and I think that there's also things that separate people who succeed from people who don't. And a lot of that has to do with what you do when you get knocked down, like not just a little knocked down, like knocked down, grabbing Ben and Jerry's, and like crying your
1: eyes out. The thing that you and I talked about earlier, too, is yeah. like if sometimes you want to see that beacon at the end and you mm, want to see, oh, Yes, I've seen someone who's hit the mountaintop mm-hmm. and I want to be like her. And then other times you're in that kind of midpoint where you're like, this sucks. And I want to see somebody who's been through it. Yes. A and you're right, like that veneer, you know, you want to see like what's under it. What was the work to get there?
0: Yeah, because I think at least for me, I don't want to talk about, the. you know, it's embarrassing to like. I mean, whether I left a job and thought that the next one was going to be even better and it wasn't, or for other people that were let go, but it had nothing to do with them. You know, it wasn't a performance let go. It was layoff or those things. I mean, there's one person that I told you about earlier, and I won't be sharing their story, all of it, because there's a few identifying things in there. But recently, they were at the same company for four or five years, moved up the ladder. They were doing awesome. And- they were recruited for a new startup that was really doing well. And so they went in and started fixing things. And then like three, four weeks into it, they were told up, you were the last one in. So you're the first one out. And that hit her so hard. And she took it personally. And I get why it's easy to take it personally. Like, I totally understand that. I've done that before. But I was like, wait, you weren't even there long enough to be on a performance plan. Like, I know you had something similar happen to you in your career and we're not going to name the company name or anything like that, but I know that that person I'm thinking of is not the only one. And I know a lot of people are varying. So I would just love for you to share
1: that a little bit and maybe some of the stuff you learned too. Absolutely. And, and I think that's the important thing is like, sometimes you do have to take stock and say, what was my part in this? You know, yeah. back to the, like, a relationship that's gone wrong. Like right. if all of your ex-boyfriends are crazy, you're kind of the common thread. And
0: <laughs> so for me- I have said that all the time. Like, And there have been times where I've been the common denominator, right?
1: And that's yeah. fair. And, 100%. And so, yeah.
0: <laughs> so I'm really glad you pointed that out. And we know people in our lives, and I'm sure everyone does too, that they go from job to job to job. And it's all about, oh, well, that. Company was awful, and that company was off. It's like, well, after like the fifth or fourth, th- mm. so I'm very
1: glad you said that part. It's a um, balance, <laughs> and that's always my first thing when when something terrible like this happened. And that was the thing, yeah, exactly as you described. You know, I think my story of what happened to me and the story that you shared a little bit of there is is the same thing that happens to a lot of people like i was contacted by a headhunter and you know they dangled a job in front of me and it's always been my dream to be a chief risk officer and mm. you know they said, oh, chief risk officer job and i was like oh my goodness and i was just honored to even be considered for the role yeah. and then it came back and they said look you were so close and you know half the people wanted you half the people wanted the other person you didn't get the role. And I should have just stopped at that point. I should have just, you know, when they said you didn't get the role and I was like, okay, great. Thank you for your time. And I was like, good, we're done. And, you know, I can go back to living my happy life. But then they came back and said, oh, but we have this other role and we made this just especially for you. And, you know, it's, it's a big title and it's a big role and you're going to, you know, do all this stuff to solidify us for the future. And it was catnip to me, honestly. And I was like, oh, this is going to great. I can be the one who fixes this company. I can be the one who does all this stuff. It's and so like a relationship.
0: Together. I can it be the so one that like fixes it. Uh-huh.
1: Completely. <laughs> and the thing is, like, I remember like, looking and trying to make a decision and I told them no for the mm-hmm. second thing, because I was like, look, I don't want to take myself out of contention because I really do want to be a, a chief risk officer someday. And that's really what I want. And, and so I, I said no, and I thought I would just walk away. And they came back and said, no, really. Like, how do we make this happen? Now, looking back on it, I kick myself and go, why did you not stick to your guns? You made an informed decision, but I allowed myself to be talked into it. And I was like, this is going to be so great. And I am going to you know, do all these amazing things. And I have been so lucky in my career that I've not had situations where I've touched the stove and it's burned me. And so I think that's probably mm. how my problem is. Maybe I was too cocky about like, oh, how bad could it really be? What could I, what could happen? And, you know, it was a similar situation where I got into it, was only there for a hot minute. And they said, oh, the role's been eliminated. Then, of course, I took it very personally. And I was like, oh, it must have been something I did. You know, did I come in too hot? Because I've done that before, too. Mm -hmm. Oh, I have, too. (laughs) (laughs) And the problem is, obviously, you usually hear gossip as it goes around and it had nothing to do with me. And another part of me was angry because of that too, where I was like, it wasn't (laughs) about me. It should have been about me because (laughs) why else would you get rid of me so quickly? So I spent a lot of time like agonizing Mm. over it. And again, sort of like a relationship, you know, I feel like you don't ever feel quite better about it. You don't stop beating yourself up until Mm. you have something new. And that new thing to put Mm. all your energy into and focus on, And it is difficult to stop beating yourself up about it. But the other thing is, is what benefit does that have? Somebody said to me one time, like, you're lucky nine times out of 10. And that 10th time, when you bust out, like it's big and it's real bad. then You always (laughs) have the nine times times where you do, you know, like you have these amazing things. You're so, so lucky. And that's the thing I kept thinking to myself is like, You've got to be grateful for all these Mm. other things that you've done in your career. And the other thing is, is like, somebody's going to feel lucky to have you. You've had other Mm -hmm. companies that felt lucky to have you, you know, unless every company has hated you and, you know, it's been something terrible that's Ah. gone on. And going back to the, all your boyfriends are crazy, maybe it's you. And, but it's an important time, I think, to take stock and say, Mm. what am I going to do different next time? And where do I want to go? And it's so hard. It's so, so hard to even like get up every day. And for me, I was like, I've never been without a job. Usually Mm. I'm like taking another job. And so to say like, what do I do all day? Why do Mm. I even you know, get out of bed and wash my hair? Like, I don't know. It's always been because I had a job and to have that kind of a situation was really hard. Wow.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've been there. I get it. And I mean, there were some other big factors too. I mean, you moved for that position and we're in a new place and leases, all those things. And so that made it really hard. But the interesting thing for me is you had to go through your grief. You had to go through processing it. And I think that that's such an important step. And it's a step that most of us want to skip over because it's super uncomfortable. I found for me that like when I don't want to journal is when I need to. Because that means that there's something, and that's my way of self-discovery. There's different ways for other people, but like, that's my way of like, oh, wow, that's why this is bothering me. Like, I don't know until I start writing, but I think, you know, that's part of it. But then after you went through all of that, and as you were starting to kind of get back up on the horse and like apply and stuff... I remember that you learned that there were some things going fishy at that organization, and so that also helped. I mean, we won't get too much into the details.
1: Well, and it does make you go like when you hear little things like that. And I know not everybody is as lucky as I was to have that kind of like a confirmation, right? Right. At a certain point, you go, maybe did you do me a favor? And I know, like. You know when it first happened to me, and I was like telling a few friends, and people would say things like, "Oh, you know, at some point in time, you're just gonna find that you were lucky that it even happened, and you know that kind of thing." And I was like, "Who says that?" You know, like it's it sounds like something that people oh, just yeah. say. yeah, it's like but a hallmark thing, exactly. But it is so true that at a certain point, you're like, maybe it was better in the long. Do some introspection, and as you said, like journal and make lists. And for me, things that I hated about that job and all the things that I thought were terrible. And then I can look back on it when I get mad and start going through that cycle again and go, nah, maybe it's
0: not so bad after all. Right. Yeah. I think doing some introspection to say, okay, why did this happen? What did I do? Like, what was my role in it? Like, what could I have seen ahead of time? Now, in hindsight, I see that those were blaring red lights. But at the time, I was like, well, maybe, you know, so that you don't do it again, because I'm a big believer and I'm a big believer in this because it's happened to me that when you don't, listen to the lessons that life is trying to teach you. They get louder and louder, and then they're screaming. And then seven years later, you still have chronic pain because you work too hard. You know, just hypothetically speaking, (laughs) (laughs) you know, just, yeah, totally not at all my life. But yeah. So, you know, I think taking time to learn the lesson and really take stock of that and then thinking, okay, what's my next step? But also, how is this a good thing? Because I think too often we look at like, that's bad, that's good. And I think that's human nature. Like that's what we're supposed to do. But I've had so many things in my life and it's helped me now, like when something bad happens or I get the rug pulled out from underneath me, I can look back and go, oh yeah, there was that time that I was devastated that I didn't get that job. And then it turned out that person that got it got laid off or, you know, or the company folded, or there's so many different things. So I think that's part of it is like going through that and then looking at like, what was the lesson here? What was the good thing out of it? What are the things I'm grateful for, for going through that? Like when we can say like, this was one of the hardest times in my life, but I'm grateful for it because this, this, and this happened. And then I think another important step that I've found is reminding myself how great I am, like reminding myself that like, these are all the things that no one else has done because no one else has had the exact same career trajectory as me or the same opportunities that I've had. And you and I both firmly believe that it's luck that's put us in, you know, a lot of places and we've talked about that on our own. But I mean, there is that phrase and that saying that says that luck is, you know, when opportunity meets preparation. So it's easier for us to just say it was luck, but I think it is because we take the time to what can I learn from this? How can I move on? Would you say that those are some of the steps that you felt like really helped you when you were ready to move on and, and get to your next role?
1: Absolutely. And I, I think the other thing about it is just like getting back on that horse and mm-hmm. like starting to interview again and mm-hmm. look at roles and go, oh, I can do that. Oh, I, yeah, yeah, I can do that. Because I think it's hard too. like when you are kicked down like that and you start to, <laughs> oh, it's, I'm never going to have. Another opportunity like this. This was definitely the pinnacle and I messed it up. Then when you start to look and go, like, no, there's really great companies out there that are are looking for people like you and that you can do it. And you know, sometimes like I feel like one thing that I've been looking at is like a lot of people that are doing interviews right now, it's such mm. an easier time to interview. Like during COVID, it's an easier time to interview because I think about like other times when I've been dissatisfied with the job. And so you're trying to call in sick and fly to a place, maybe. Oh, to- yeah, yeah. And so I've had places where they're like, "What disease do you have, woman? That you're gone two or three days a week?" And they're like, "Clearly, you're interviewing for a job. <laughs> and you have to come in and you have to shed your your suit jacket and look like you're not dressing up because you're going to dash out to an interview or something." Yeah. During COVID, like you can just do the interviews on Zoom, and no one has to know. Or you could do five or six interviews in a day versus actually having to like a lot of roles that I've had, I've had to hop on a plane from San Francisco to DC or hop on a plane from the Netherlands to Ireland, and it kills so much time. And then if the role doesn't work out that you're interviewing for, you've wasted all this time and Mm. energy and called in sick and you wasted social collateral at your job. Like COVID's a great time to interview for new roles.
0: I love that you look for silver linings during COVID. Like I have to, I mean, and sometimes there's the silliest things like, oh, so well, now airlines aren't charging the change fee. Like that's awesome. You know, I mean, sometimes I'm really digging at the you know bottom there for something, but I think that's such a great point. And also I think I'd add to it too, that there's so much shame that comes from looking for a job if you're not currently employed. And I mostly know that from all the people that have been flooding my inbox, they may not say I feel ashamed, but like, I can tell that that's what's bugging them. And the thing is like confidence is what's going to get you that job. So maybe also knowing that another good thing about looking for a job during COVID is that being without a job right now does not look bad on you. Not even a little
1: bit. The perfect year for a mulligan because so many people have gone through it. Like this is the year. Like if you're going to be out, like this is the year. Cause I think it's so much harder, like Mm. two years ago or something where people go, Hmm, what did you do? But right now they're like 2020. Right. I mean, we probably
0: sound like Pollyannas because I know when I've been in my like really low spots, I'm like flipping off a podcast or something. So I'm like, but I mean, I hope people know that like, this is aged wisdom. This is not wisdom. (laughs) This is is wisdom from so many years of being in this industry and getting knocked down and getting back up again. I mean, my husband, I just have a shorthand where I'm like, okay, I guess I'm going to chubba wubba today. And do you remember that song? Like back in the day, like I get not, I'm not going to sing it, but I get knocked down, but I get up again. Like it's not easy. I think it's way easier to turn on Netflix and just binge something. I mean, and that's not a dig against Netflix. I love the people that work there and I love it very much, but how we spend our time is what we're going to, like you reap what you sow, so to speak. And it's like, you know, if you're at least planting a seed a day, eventually one of them's going to bloom. Now, I will say also that one of the downsides of we're looking for a job during COVID is that there's more people looking than there are jobs. But I do think that in you know e-commerce fraud prevention, there are a lot of opportunities and I've done my best to be sharing them in the LinkedIn group that I started. And there's like almost 900 people in that group now. But also, I think it's also important for you to like, not you in general, but other people to really be looking at how can I package myself up to stand out? How can I be a standout versus just, you know, one of the crowd? And that's not to say like stalking people on LinkedIn or doing all these things like some people are doing, but like, how can I highlight this? Can I take a few extra minutes to change up my, my resume a little bit for this specific job using some of those keywords so that the automated system does it, or what's the, my goal of this interview to get across? Like those things and really improve yourself because I do believe that what goes around comes around obviously and all that, but like you get what you give. And if you're batting a hundred every interview, probably going to have less interviews than people that are just kind of literally phoning it in or zooming it in.
1: Yeah. And I think one of the easiest things like that I always appreciate as an interviewer. And so one thing that I've always tried to do when I'm interviewing for Mm -hmm. jobs is do a lot of research. I mean, especially yes. like if you're in fraud, it's sort of expected that you're going to do a lot of research right. on the company and then as well on the person who's interviewing you because mm-hmm. you have questions that are specific to them and the amount of time that they're at their job, you know, because obviously if you're talking to somebody who's been at the company the whole time the company has existed, you're going to ask a very different question than someone who has just started and they can give you very good insight. And if the questions are tailored to them, and if you understand about you know, the company and some of like the recent, you know, good or bad publicity, that's always very good too. And I think that's mm. something that really sets you apart once you get into that interview. Such
0: good tips. I think too, you know, with the business model, like, you know, in fraud, a lot of us are connected with each other. If you're interviewing for a company that's in retail, so to speak, and you haven't been in retail before, people would be like, oh, well, I don't know anyone at that company. Okay but you know people at similar companies, can you ask them what types of fraud they have so that, first of all, you're not asking that question because they'd be like, why are you asking that question? Like, we're coming to you for help. But also, you can tailor your questions based off of what you know is, you know, going on. I do that with consulting and discovery calls. You know, I know that this specific type of company has these specific problems, and when I use that language, I'm like, "Oh, that's exactly what we." Oh, yeah, you know, or I'll reference a time that I reduced manual reviews because I'm pretty sure that this company has really high manual reviews because of X, Y, Z. And they're like, Oh wow. If you did. Okay. So such a good point. I
1: think that's it's so good. True. Using the product too, because I mm. find the places I've worked and I'll say like, what do you think is one of our biggest fraud issues or, right. or whatever issues, issues with our service. And people will be like, well, I don't know. I've never used it. Like I was shocked <laughs> how many times, like when I worked at PayPal, how many times people would go, well, I don't have a PayPal account. There's a lot of fraud on there. And I'm like, Mm, maybe that's not the right answer, but at least <laughs> used it and you could say, well, I experienced this and I had a dispute and I, you know, like if you've actually used the tool, you can set yourself like in the top 10% of interviewers.
0: A hundred percent. I mean, you bring up a good point that you've worked at a lot of companies that like when they first, I shouldn't say a lot, but a few that when you first started, not many people had heard of them and they were kind of unique business models, PayPal, Patreon, you were most recently there, you know, and others like, you were at Patty Betfair, which is an online gambling company. Those three examples with new business models, especially they have fraud that like, you know, you kind of have to go in and do it all over again, but just giving them the confidence that, you know, you are the right person is so important for that. And I think most of the time you've been in a position and I was in this too, and it's amazing, but it's also terrifying that there wasn't anyone in your place before you. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Sometimes that's great because, like, yeah. I think of those roles is like there's no bar. It's you know, so I can just come in and like I'm gonna set this bar as compared to like you know like there've been jobs <laughs> where I've interviewed for where people are like we cried when the last person left and I'm like oh boy I don't know if I can do this role so much pressure that's a really
0: high bar oh my gosh. <laughs>
1: But if you're just coming in, like, typically, I was saying this to somebody recently, I was like, every time I come into almost all my jobs I've come into, there's been some sort of a dumpster fire where people mm. are like, it's awful. basically, you can't do any worse than we've already done. And that's one of my favorite places to be because you can just do so much at that point.
0: Those are my favorite too. But I have to say that there's also a risk too, right? Because if you don't love that, you're not going to stay up all night, work all on the weekends, do what you have to do to get them to a better place. And then they're like, oh, you made it even worse or you didn't make it better at all. So like, I think you need to know about yourself and know if you love it enough to do what's necessary because it's hard, but it's also such an addicting feeling when a year in you're like, oh my God, like you have these huge numbers to tout because there was nothing before or there was what was there wasn't
1: strategic enough or wasn't the right balance for the company. It is so scary. Like when you come in and you can't make such a difference mm, like that because yeah. I just don't even know like how people come into jobs like that. But then again, you, you have to have a family that's, you know, like is understanding if you're, as you say, going to throw yourself into a situation so fully, like that's a, a complete wreck. And yeah, as you say, it's like quicksand, it'll take all your time. Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean,
0: for me, I love those so much. But as my daughter was getting older, I just couldn't do that anymore. But that's one of the, reasons why I love to be a consultant because I get, you know, called when there's a fire pretty much and I get to put it out and, you know, I don't care about the ticker tape parade or the, the hero status. I just, it's like my own Mount Everest every time. But I think that there's something to be said about believing in yourself, but also really caring about it and knowing who you are, because if you're somebody who likes to sustain that's really important. Like we need those people for the mail to be delivered and for groceries to be at the grocery store and all the things like we need the people to sustain the processes and do the things. And, you know, in fraud, that's manual review or that's operations and all that. Then there are those of us who like to get our hands dirty and build the process and do the strategy and look at the scary metrics and know exactly what that means that you need to put this in and that in for this business model in that mail. I guess what I wanted to say there is there are a lot of people that I know that feel like they need to get another job, that they just need something. And I agree with that. And everybody's situation is different. So maybe, you know, there's a case where you're going to take a job for a little while. It Maybe it's a stepping stone rather than your final destination. And when you know that going in, then it's better. Or knowing about yourself, what interests, what jobs or what roles you're going to love and you're going to do your best at. Versus the ones that you're going to be miserable in, I think that's going to help you to apply for the right one. Because sometimes I see some people recently in this last year, they're like, I just need a job. And it's like, okay, I get that. But then they just take whatever's first and then they're miserable. And then they think they have to stay there for a long time because, you know, that's what they have to do. So I think setting yourself up for success is important too.
1: Yeah. And I think knowing what you're going into it for, because you know, I've known some people that, you know, mm. when they're in a role and they're like, Oh, I should have had a better title. Oh, I can't believe I didn't get that title. Oh, I can't believe so and so has a better title. And maybe they're paid better than the person right. who has the title, but understanding like mm. what you can compromise on and then focusing on that, because for me, obviously like I've taken roles just for money before, you know, yeah. like, ugh, I can't believe so and so makes more money than I do and then, you know, I've taken on a role and but then you have to look at that and go, "Yes, it's miserable, but I took this money, the job for the money or I mm-hmm. took the job because I wanted to learn a different type of fraud or I wanted right. to learn it And focusing on that, mm-hmm. I feel like at least if you're very clear about the reasons you took a job, you can focus on that and, you know, like talk yourself into it every day, I guess, right. until it's the appropriate time to move on possibly. It's so important
0: because I think I know you and I both have been miserable in in roles before, and I haven't always left when I should. And that's a lesson. Right. And I used to say like, and this was way, I mean, I still say this, but like, I started saying this in one of my very first jobs in this industry, like I'm going to make another mistake, but it won't be the same one. And that was like, when I said that it was more like about downloading credit card terminals and all of that stuff. But like, I kind of approach my career that way too.
1: <laughs> it is so true. But like, you know, going back to, you know, the thing that I said about the boss at PayPal mm. and saying, oh, you're well compensated. And I was like, okay, like I've learned a very valuable lesson from this. And like, I think I said, I will not let myself be in that position again. Mm. And you're right. That's the most important thing is like not having to learn a lesson twice. Yeah. Because if you are learning it twice, then clearly I've done something wrong and definitely need to take a-, a And good, usually that second
0: off. time is way worse than the first time. <laughs> And take oh. it from me, the fourth and fifth time are even a lot worse. Too. <laughs> I'm a little stubborn, but you have had, I mean, you know, we've kind of mentioned a little bit about your career. And like I said, you know, if anyone wants to really understand that part of it, they should totally go back and listen to the other episode. And I'll put that in the show notes for this one. So they can just go right back. But one of the things that you've gotten to do that I'm kind of jealous of sometimes is you've gotten to travel and you've gotten to work internationally because fraud is international, but there are so many, I mean, fraud in the U.S. is so different than fraud you know, in Europe and everything else. But you know, you've also worked in different sides of the fence. You've been the actual payment method at PayPal. You've been the payment facilitator at Ingenico. You've been the merchant at Patty Betfair and Patreon. I guess I'm asking you two questions there, but what would you say to people who are like, wow, okay, well, maybe me looking for a new opportunity means that I can look outside of the U.S. I mean, there are some countries offering some pretty awesome things for remote workers. You know, if they you want to come move to their country, I may have done a little research there or moving for a position or whatever, because you can still do that during COVID. You just might have to quarantine. I think that's my first question. The second question is more just around like, I know how valuable having those different perspectives on a transaction are, but curious what kind of some of your higher level takeaways have been for that that have helped you be a better fraud fighter and a better leader. So, you know. 27 questions in one.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. So the moving question, I know that there are some people that, that's something that they really want. And there are some people that that's just not something that they, I think would have the stomach to do because it's easy to look back on it with rosy colored glasses and say, Oh, it was so amazing because truly it is so amazing to like immerse yourself in Mm. another culture and learn another style of doing things and, you know, deal with being in different time zones and things. But I don't want to underestimate how difficult it can be at times. And like, there are massive misunderstandings that happen and there are situations that are not funny at the time but you know maybe they're funny afterwards and you know I'm just thinking about like there was a time when I first moved to the netherlands and gave a presentation and it was on behalf of like my boss who wasn't around so it wasn't my presentation and you know i, I did this whole thing and somebody came up to me afterwards and they're like your job just seems really terrible and I was like wait oh. what and they're like, your job just seems awful. Like that presentation you gave was really, it was poorly done. And it was like, not like, they were just really critical. And oh. then they were like, you're welcome and walk away. And I was like, crushed. I was like, oh my goodness. Like I went home and I was like, what in the world? Like, what is my life for? And like, yeah. i, I was really boring clearly. And like, I get things across in the right way. And then I had to like, think about it probably, probably like all weekend. And then I was like, oh, but that person thought they were being super helpful by giving me feedback. And that was one thing I didn't understand so well yeah. about culture is like they would just say things to you that an American would find horrific, and it would just like so many people cried. Like I would literally have like Americans on my team that would be bawling mm-hmm. because person, the Dutch person was like, "Oh, I just gave them some very valuable feedback," and the American <laughs> was like dying. And so some of those things where it's mm, like the, time, the culture. Oh my gosh,
0: yes, yeah, so I've difficult. I've worked with international companies and you know gone international and been there, you know, and training them and stuff like that, and. That's definitely a challenge, but also sometimes it's really fun too. I mean, that also means you get to eat awesome food and get to see amazing places that people pay a lot of money to go travel to. Like, so there's a trade off, but I'm really glad that you're, you know, making sure it's not not just.
1: No, no. Sometimes (laughs) it's not even the job because I know there are other things that, like, I've known a lot of people that have worked international assignments, and they're like, I never made a friend. Mm. It was so isolating, and so for me, moving to the Netherlands, you know, a lot of people were like, Oh, did you marry a Dutch guy? And I was like. No, I'm married to an American, and I can't imagine if I'd married a Dutch Mm -hmm. guy because, like, at least I could come home and tell my husband the joke that I told that nobody got at work. And he's like, that's funny. I'm like, yeah, that is really funny. No one laughed. You know, it's worse. (laughs) Like, if I have no one to like bounce things off, like, I can't imagine how isolating that would feel. So it's incredibly (laughs) rewarding. And as you say, there are tons of companies that are hiring, and Mm -hmm. I'd suggest if you're even halfway interested in it, do it. But just know that some people are like, I'd give anything, I'd Mm -hmm. sell my house and my cars. And you have to be very invested to do that because we did, we sold our house, we sold our cars, we sold all of the things that we owned and it was really hard. Like the first year was super difficult. And yeah. it was like, why did we do this thing? And again, you go back to your lists of like mm. all the things that we were looking like, at you your why out of it. Yeah, yeah. What's your why? And you know, you have to look back on that sometimes when things do get really difficult. So
0: good and so true, and it's also nice. Like, I mean, I am married to somebody who grew up in my hometown. Like, I didn't know him until he lived over here. But like, sometimes it's nice to have like a reference. Like, oh yeah, like that one, you know, that fast food place, or oh, are you cruising on, you know, like the road that like all the teenagers would cruise in the nineties? Like, if I was married to somebody from Seattle, they wouldn't get it, and I'd have to explain it. So similar to you know when you were in. Netherlands and being able to be like, oh yeah, you know, like you guys get that. There are several people in payments and fraud that I know that have moved to Amsterdam specifically.
1: So there's people to share the experience too. Like that's kind of the nice thing too, about like, if you move the stranger, the place that you move, the more tight of a connection you make with other expats. Mm i I've oh, known some yeah. people who lived in like Japan or Korea and they're like, I have such a tight group of other mm, expats because I they bet. went through the same very strange experience versus I've known some people who've moved to like London or like when I lived in Ireland and people were like, everybody speaks English, right. you have the same basic cultural, you know, norms and things like you don't really have a ton of expat friends. Cause it's not like you have all these really strange experiences to share with another group right. of people.
0: Right, But I did want to ask kind of about is such a good time for people, you know, you can look at it as this is horrible and like, oh my gosh, you know, I don't know what's next. The truth is you don't know what's next, even if you are working in a full-time job now, like you just everything's uncertain. and I think that's something we've all learned in 2020 is the certainty of uncertainty. But you know, I think that this is a good opportunity for people to go, oh, what do I want to do next? Like, would they look at it like Kevin Lee said that, and he works at siF now, but He used to work at Facebook and Shel Sandberg used to say that you should look at your career like jungle gym and, you know, you're still at the playground, right? But like one job might be on the slide and one job might be on the swings so that, you know, you look at it that way so that 10, 20 years in, you've got all this diversified experience and you're great for whatever the next role is. So when I think of your career, I think of it being on the playground because, you know, you were at different spots. What are just a few takeaways that you would share? Like if somebody was on the merchant side and they were thinking about, I mean, they're good and bad to all sides. Let's just put that out there. But what are just a few things that you would suggest as people are looking at it more as like, oh, wow, this is an
1: opportunity for me to do something new. I would say don't discount yourself because I know so many mm. people who are like, and even like when I interview, sometimes people will ask questions that are like, mm, but do you have any of this kind of experience? And I'm like, it shouldn't really matter because like, if you're doing fraud things or risk things, like there are common threads, so mm-hmm. like, you know, I moved from acquiring, for example, to being a merchant. And I remember people were like, mm, I just don't know if you're going to be able to cut it." And I was like, "Why I actually think I it's for- the other way around exactly. I was <laughs> like, "I worked for plenty of merchants, you-, you know, like, but just in a different way because I was at the acquirer, and sure, right. I didn't own the risk and I wasn't making the changes in the tool myself because I wasn't at the merchant, but I still had experience with it. And so I think it's so funny mm-hmm. to me when people think that these are all so different because yeah. it's all the same like to me like the common thread like i feel like i've had the same job the whole time because i've worked in fraud and risk mm-hmm. because i that's always the common factor to me is like yes it's fraud and risk and yes i manage people and so whether you're doing like product management or you're in leadership or you're doing data science for trust and safety or you're like an engineer or all of those things, if you're dealing with fraud and risk and content moderation and those types of things, they are all very, very similar to me. And they're all sort of different sides of the same coin. Like maybe this is like an eight sided coin at this point, because like the (laughs) other thing is people are always saying, like, I know several people have said like, ah, you know, you were doing fraud and then you went to content mod. That's weird. And I'm like, no, they're so similar. Yeah. most risk jobs are quite similar, and so I feel like that's one of the biggest thing I see people do is like they discount themselves and say, mm, like, to, yeah, yeah, typecast. Yeah, I have to stay at a merchant because I've always been at a merchant, or mm. I work in acquiring, and that's the only thing I'm good at, hmm. and that's just so not true. And so I feel like if there's a company that you're excited about mm. or a different type of role, you just have to take the things like that you do fulfill, and then. Parlay that into like there's, you know, 10% of this role profile that's new to me, but I will learn it and I will be good at it because I've got all these other things that I've been successful at that I can do that other 10% in the end.
0: That's such a good advice. And I always think of it the opposite way because I think of it as like the people who I've worked with on the merchant side or on the banking side, whatever they have experience on another side and they come in with that extra experience. Those are the best people I've worked with that they were an issuer and now they're a merchant or they were a merchant and now they're at an acquirer or they're at a PSP or whatever it is. So I look at it so differently because I've been working with those people, but I didn't think about it in that way that so many people think, oh, well, this is
1: different than what I've had. So And some people too are like, Oh, I never worked at PayPal, so I can't speak that language. And I'm like, no, 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 it's better if you didn't because sometimes these people that have all worked at the same company, they get very clicky and Mm. they don't understand that like not everybody has to have worked at the same place because you have an outsider's perspective and you've seen it done in a slightly different way. It's so much more valuable.
0: I really love the conversation we've been having about kind of pivoting and picking ourselves up, but I don't want to sugarcoat it and be sunshine and rainbows. Like you and I both had times where we've called each other and been like, Oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do. What gives you the strength? You know, I mean, I always give myself at least a day to like cry my eyes out and everything. And then a day or two later, depending on the significance of the incident, then I, basically pick myself up on my big girl panties and move on, so to speak. But I'm wondering like for you, what gives you that thought that like, okay, I can do this. Like the resilience factor, I guess.
1: So for me, like I said, the the hubris, I think (laughs) keeps it there, but 'Cause like you know, when I was young and stupid, like I feel like that still kind of carries me through is I'm like, when I did all this stuff, I can do it again. So I feel like looking at, you know, like fall down nine times stand up ten, yeah. like if you've fallen before and stood up again and you've fallen again and you stood up again, you should be able to do it again. And I know that there's a point where you go, Wow, what point is it the the definition of insanity where I'm <laughs> right. over and over? expecting different results. But if you've been successful, I think you have to look at that and say, Mm -hmm. I can be successful again, and I can do this again. But the other thing that I always think to myself, and this is something I always tell people when they're like, I'm not sure, should I post for that job? You know, maybe Mm. I'm not. And I'm like, it's not your job to discount yourself. You need to put yourself up and let them discount you because you're not qualified to say if you're qualified or not. It's the person who's assessing you who says if you're qualified or not. And I always think about the sales funnel too, where Mm. it's like you have to apply for a hundred jobs to get interviewed for 10 to get hired for one. Right. so you gotta throw yourself out there. You can't just apply for one and expect to Mm. get that one either. And there's like, it's come so far because you don't have to like go through newspapers anymore and circle up your resume on LinkedIn. You can turn on those little things that say like, I'm available, please call me and people will just contact you. So it's gotten so much easier.
0: So true. I do something very similar. I call it thinking backwards where I'm like, okay, I got through that thing. I can get through this thing. And that's what gives me the confidence. I mean, but sometimes I feel like it's hubris or just like insanity. Sometimes I feel like for me, it's like I'm courageous and then I'm fearful and then I'm courageous and then I'm fearful. Cause I also have a healthy dose of imposter syndrome, but I try to, which I know you and I both share, but I try to challenge myself and, you know, I've done a lot of thinking about like also wanting to show other women that have started their career after us that like, I don't want to plateau. I want to show you that if I can do it, you can do it. I think that's important. An exercise I did, and I think I told you about this once, but like I was challenged to write down everything I've done in my life since I can possibly remember that was courageous. So, whether it was like getting up on stage for the talent show in fourth grade, like that wasn't a real analogy, but like something like that, like something small all the way to the big stuff. I did that over a weekend. It took me like eight hours and I had six pages, single space on a Google Doc of all these things I did. And the whole point of that challenge was courage leads to confidence. And that really was a game changer for me because I think I just hadn't ever sat down and been like, oh, I have done a lot. If I was someone else, I would think I was a badass.
1: (laughs) That courage leads to confidence is fascinating. And maybe that's what I'm trying to get at with the hubris Mm. thing. But I also feel like, what does it hurt to try? Because I know that you only get so many choices in your life. So I'm not Mm -hmm. saying like, just go apply for anything or, you know, start any job or whatever. But it's amazing to me when you put yourself out there Mm -hmm. and say like, Yes, I'm going to like try this new thing or do this, whatever, and let somebody else say whether I'm qualified or not. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, when you sign up for a job that you're like, yes, I meet some of the criteria, but it sounds super interesting. They want you to be successful too. And they will try Mm -hmm. and will train you. And, you know, if they see that spark in you and that you are able to do it, they're going to also be interested in making you successful as long as you're willing to put in some grit.
0: I think thought of applying to tons of jobs, I think it's a good strategy, right? And it also gives you practice like you talked about before. But the hard thing is during COVID, I feel like there's so much pressure to get jobs, especially in the US, because there isn't a lot of national financial support like there is, you know, in other countries, other developed countries, and right now around COVID. So There are some people that get really crushed when they don't hear back or, and I understand that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but then they get knocked down and it's harder to get back up again. So I know you've been in that situation fairly recently, like, and I have too, but not recently. So that's why I wanted to talk to you about, like, is it just like, oh, there's plenty of fish in the sea. You kind of look at it like dating or is it hard? (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> like, it's for sure hard. And the thing is, like, it's not like every single day you get on LinkedIn or right. uh, what's it called? Uh, indeed. indeed. There's not 10 jobs every day. And yeah. like it's and some days there are and some five or 10. And right. some days you don't get called back for any of them. And some days you get a whole bunch of calls back and they say, sorry, you went with somebody else. But I feel like it is just doing that consistent checking and getting yourself in as quickly as possible when Mm. they post it. Because even like, you know, I've done hiring in COVID too, and Mm. we got probably three times as many applicants as I've ever received for jobs during COVID. And so being one of those first people through the door does make a difference, which I had never thought of previous to this. But honestly, like for me, like checking out LinkedIn and things like I wanted to be one of those first people to post for a role because I knew that that was the way to get in front of some people.
0: That's smart. And it worked for you. You were in a multiple offer situation recently, and I'm just so excited for your future. But when you told me like, ah, you know, I need something else. I wasn't worried for you. People say that to me, too. And I'm like, but I'm worried for me. But there are some people that I'm like, oh, it might be hard. But like you have done so many different things and you adapt to change and you have that core risk strategy and operations piece that you can kind of apply anywhere like you've said you know it's not just because you started out on payment method side and really the acquire you know that side doesn't mean that that's where you're stuck you can apply everywhere. you're versatile i think is what i'm trying to say and just i know there are so many people who have like listened to you speak at events and they're like oh my gosh she's so cool and i'm like i know i agree she's my friend (laughs) but i know i know you're getting all humble but it's a true story Actually, that happened. Yeah, I'll tell you that story another time because you'll be you might be surprised who said it, but there's a couple of them, but one in particular I'm thinking of. But anyway, so when I met you, you were talking at a women in trust event that a friend we have in common started in the Bay Area. And when they were going on live, I would a lot of times time it for the quarterly meeting where if I had a client to go down to, I'd come down to San Francisco for it because it was so awesome. And I really loved some of the things you said about just the unique challenges of being a woman in the industry. And I think that there are two different types of challenges. There's the outside challenges and then the internal challenges. We could talk about the outside challenges for days. But, you know, I try really hard to focus on what I can control and what I can change and, you know, more like that positive side. So what are a couple of things that have been helpful for you on your learning that might be helpful for other women who are like, oh, well, you know, you're a badass, but maybe I'm not. I mean, you and I both thought those things too about other
1: people. So (laughs) I feel like it's, as you've said, like, you know, some of the imposter syndrome that I think everybody suffers with, Mm -hmm. you know, unless they're a narcissist
0: and we do, you know, there, there are a couple in every industry, you know, just. They totally they're fair. awesome. And I am jealous of them.
1: <laughs> but looking at those, And as you said, like being jealous of those people, like, I feel like a lot of times that helps me is like looking at people that maybe they are a narcissist or, you know, maybe they're doing these amazing things. They're overconfident about their skills. They're not, they're yeah. you know, and when you look and you go, but they only have like half of what I have. So mm-hmm. I should be able to do what they do too. Mm-hmm. Or going back to the thing I said about like the boss being like, no, he sucked. I can do that better. Like actually looking and assessing and like having a cold, hard look at yourself and your skills and saying, no, I can do that. I have done that. And you know, I will do that again because I feel like being realistic because of course we all do that thing where you go, Oh, I suck. I suck. I can't do this. You know, I need to go back home and I'm so sorry. And I'm just going to, you know, go back to my customer service job. And I didn't mean to overshoot my coverage. And you go through that and then you go, okay, girl, let's get up and let's be real about it. Mm -hmm. Like, let's, as you say, like, look at what you've done and let's make a list and let's look at the positives and let's look at why you are lucky and why you have nine times out of 10 been so lucky. And then you'll be lucky again. It's not like, you're going to be unlucky for the rest of your life because obviously like there's a reason that you've had jobs before. There's a reason that people have asked Mm. you to do certain things or, you know, and it's not like it's never going to happen again. It's the same, you know, going back to the relationship thing. It's not like you're never going to find love again and you're just a terrible person and nobody's ever going to love you. Like it's the same thing with a job. People are going to need you. And especially Mm. if you're in the risk field, every company has a need for that risk brain. And, you know, maybe it's you hated the one job because you hated doing manual reviews. So maybe you move into like a project type of role or you do some analytics or you take a class to supplement what you're kind of interested in, but you can change that trajectory of what you didn't like maybe, or where you weren't successful and fill in some gaps. Such good advice. I think there is
0: a level of introspection that does lead to success. It's not fun. It's painful. And I know when there was one job that I was just like, Oh, I hate this job. And I hate this. I hate that. What I realized was oh, I perform better when I'm a small fish in a, or a big fish in a small pond versus a small fish in a big pond. So I didn't work for Fortune 100 company directly anymore. Not because I like thought that I knew everything, but I really loved the strategy piece and the fixing the things. And then there are other people that really love the people management and there are other people that love the product management and the project management. And I think knowing that about yourself, because whatever you like to do is what you're going to put you know your best foot forward in is such good advice. And I think also just the talk that we give ourselves as far as like, yeah, what were you thinking? Like the gig is up. I think we all have that imposter syndrome. I mean, I don't have a college degree. I've been pretty honest about that on the podcast. And that was like, it was my dirty little secret for the first half of my career, but I could have totally let that dictate things. But we are in an industry where like, if you pick it up and you know it and you know how to fix it and you have some great success data around you, you are needed and wanted.
1: But I think what you said is so important of like, look at where you were successful mm-hmm. because I've done that too. Like some of the times where I've gone, I've overshot my coverage. I'm eager yeah. so I too close to the sun. Then mm-hmm. I, I always like to look back and go, where was I successful? Where was I happy? Yes. And then how can I get back to that because I've also known several people recently who have said, oh, they asked me to take on this role. And I felt like I had to, and it was mm-hmm. too high for me. And I knew it was a stretch and I regret it. And I just want to go back to my old job. And I've said, just do it, just go back to it. Like wherever you're going to be happy, like you already have yes. enough strength, like you have your children underfoot and you're trying to do these things. Like, don't be so hard on yourself that like people are going to judge you for having to take a step back, to take a step forward again, or mm. to take a sidestep, to take a step forward. If you're going to be happy yeah. in that other role, just take it, just do it. Like whatever's going to get you through, especially right now. Yeah. And likewise, I mean, there's
0: someone I'm thinking of that like absolutely loves fraud. And I see that start, I know she's going to be a rock star, you know, she's a little younger in her career, but like, she's just got the thing, but was in a position where she accepted a job, it fell through and then went somewhere else. And I think I mentioned her earlier, actually, and she had to take a different role outside of fraud for a little while. And that sucked, but it also took the financial pressure off a little bit. So when she was interviewing, she was able to be a little more selective about like taking a step back and going, well, what, do I love to do? What am I really good at? What type of role will I build it? And what type of experience will help me be more rounded? You know, if I was just in physical goods, can I go to digital? If I was just in digital, can I be in physical or from an analyst position to a product manager whatever it is, right? So I just think being intentional is so important too. And figuring out the need and then do that. This is a sidestep, but have you ever read the book, The Big Leap? Have I told you about that? No, I don't think so. written By someone named Gay Hendricks, which is not a relation to me at all. Cause I don't have an S at the end of my name. I've only read parts of it and I'm mostly familiar with the exercises, but it's something I actually need to read soon for the F4 group that I'm starting soon. There's some exercises in it. They're so helpful, but he has this theory around your zone of genius. So like there's your zone of competence, your zone of incompetence, your zone of excellence and your zone of genius. And it's this whole exercise of like, looking at your current job or how you are in the house or how you are in your relationship and kind of like separating out your duties into like what you can do, but you don't love and what you hate to do and you're not good at to what you can, you know, and like your zone of genius is like, he talks about like how ideally you should shoot for like 60 to 80% of your day is spent in your zone of genius. Cause that's when you do your best work. And I feel like for so long, we weren't thinking like that. Right. We were just like, Oh, I just need a job. But as you get further on in your career, it's like, no, I want to excel. I want to feel fulfilled. I want to feel like, I, you know, whether it's a legacy or whatever it is, money, whatever. So whatever's fueling you. I've gotten sucked down the personal development hole over the last couple of years, but I'm grateful for it. <laughs> it's helped me a lot. <laughs> so what is your biggest advice for other people in risk, like in general? And then I'm going to ask you for other women in risk, what your advice for them is too.
1: I feel like knowing your value and finding out your value is probably my biggest piece of advice because going back to get a counteroffer, you come to your Mm. job and they say, nah, you know where you stand, like knowing where you're valued and not valued. And Mm. the other thing is, is like interviewing for jobs. Like if you have a job, you're not satisfied with that job. If you go out and dip your toe in and see that nobody's hiring right now, fine. Then you know where your value is and you know that mm. you're valued at your current company. But if you do find out, wow, other people are paying tons more money and oh, you know there's opportunities and whatever, it's so powerful to know where you stand and mm. to know if there is or is not value in what you're doing. And it can give you direction and you know, help you to recommit to your current job if you're not satisfied with some of the things that are going on outside as well.
0: Such good advice. I know you and I both are passionate about mentoring other women, and I'm excited to bring you in as part of the fearless female fraud fighter group that's kicking off in February. What advice do you have? You know, I've seen you take them under your wing at conferences, and so I know you have a lot, but what's like one thing that you want all women that are behind us? It feels weird to say, but like just been in this industry less time than we have, I guess.
1: (laughs) I feel like the conversation that I always have with women in this sphere is you know more than you think you know oh, and you're okay. valuable than you think you are because i find that like there was a friend that my husband had and he was like you know what i hate coaching men's football i only like to coach powder puff football He's like men always get like this idea that they're like nope I'm not going to run that play I got a better play and he's like (laughs) like women never do that they listen to me and they do it and they do it better than I even asked and this is the thing is like I feel like women are twice as hard on themselves and they do like twice the amount of work as they're expected to do and so I feel like give yourself a break. Mm. You're doing better than you think you're doing and get out there and try it. Because I also feel like there's so much loyalty that women have and they stay loyal for so long. Oh my
0: gosh. Yes.
1: Just dabble. The relationships and work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You I think it's fear
0: and loyalty, but I think at least for me in the past, it's been fear like, Oh, I'm not going to find a better job or I'm going to have to move or whatever it is. But yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. And also you said something earlier, I think it was about your former manager at PayPal, but just like, you know, looking at other people, you know, whether it's other genders or just other people in general that have a job that's like at the next level you have and be like, look at their LinkedIn and be like, oh, I do have more experience or I have more, you know, and be really real with yourself about what you've done and quantify it on your resume and. You know, you've saved the company this much, or percentages in chargebacks. You may not be able to say exactly because of NDAs, but there's ways to play around with it. So, yeah, I just could not agree more.
1: And don't be afraid to brag. I think. Oh my gosh, you and I have talked about this for so long. Yeah, (laughs) I think that's actually the
0: topic you were talking about at the event that I was like, I need to be friends with her. Like. Bragging feels so uncomfortable, but yes, please say yeah. more about that.
1: <laughs> it does, but this is the hard thing. Like on your resume, like that's your chance to brag, and I feel like you know. I think mm-hmm. in your original set of questions, you asked something like something that I regretted in my career. Yeah, and I feel like not bragging enough is something that I regret because it not only hurts you, it hurts your teams mm-hmm. because if people think what you do is easy. They forget about you. They forget about your department. You don't get funding. You know, nobody respects your job, and so often your boss doesn't work in fraud or risk and. You have to be constantly reminding them why you're doing a good job, why your teams are doing a good job. And so that is on you to be bragging and constantly reminding and saying like, look, I did this amazing thing because nobody's just going to intrinsically recognize it. I probably only had one or two jobs in my whole career where my boss understood hundred percent what I did and went, wow, that was so amazing. You have to really educate people what mm. you do. Oh my gosh. You're so right. Not just when you are
0: getting a job, but when you're keeping a job too, like, being able to tout accomplishments. I've had to learn how to brag that makes me feel comfortable. (laughs) And I think for the longest time, I was afraid that like, I was going to be like some of the people I know who brag that I don't think really have a reason to, or they are completely bullshitting. But I think you can slip it in conversation where it just, it's confidence. It's not bragging, it's confidence.
1: But it's also like, it's on you to do it because if you don't, then you are going to get forgotten. You're going to get passed over. Oh, you're so right. Nobody's just going to look and go like, Carice is doing such a good job. Like sometimes, (laughs) because I feel like I'm good at it in the interview where I'm like, yeah, we did this stuff and yeah, you know, da da da. But then when I get in the job, I'm like, just be quiet and just, you know, make it forget about you because you do such a good job, but no one just notices. You constantly have to remind people.
0: Oh my gosh, you're so right. And I think there's a way to do it, you know, in like weekly, monthly reports or, you know, and calling it out in red, like not being like, oh, excuse me, I did this, but you are so right. And I'm really glad that you put an exclamation point on that because I also think it's so important for fraud risk and trust and safety, that whole bundle of people to be educated. It is such a thankless job. And part of the reason why it's a thankless job is because they don't understand what we're doing. And they don't understand that like fraud orders don't come in blinking lights and that content doesn't just moderate itself. But like explaining that with mostly analytics, but a few anecdotes is game changer. You're so right. Owning my own business, it's a little bit different, but still me being able to tell my accomplishments, it took me almost a year after I got the international award to even put it on my LinkedIn, like, (laughs) or to say I have it or like talk about it. Because I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, it sounds braggadocious. But no, I freaking earned that. I'm grateful. And I feel very lucky about it. But yeah, and I'm glad that that's a lesson that you've learned too. you know, I think make it your own doesn't have to be sleazy or bullshit, but just start slipping it into meetings. Another thing that I think is such a good hack or trick is think of yourself as a leader in the company. And instead of saying like, Oh, I have this idea, it's as a leader in this company, I believe that this would be the right way to go because of X, Y, Z. Like suddenly when you believe you're that you are telling them what you are kind of similar to what you were saying too. So, and I'm so glad you pointed out that like, I used to expect my managers to just know how great I was. I've even had clients sometimes that aren't tracking. Like, I'm like, you didn't notice that, you now have $5 million less in chargebacks a month. Like, really?
1: (laughs) That they say, act like you've been there. I feel like that's one too, where it's like, you know, if you act like you've been at the table, you've been making decisions, then you will become that at a certain point. And yeah, we need more strong voices, more voices in leadership to speak up for fraud and content moderation. And some of the work that gets, it gets a lot of shame or it gets a lot of people are like, just make it disappear. I I don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's like, okay, let me get my magic wand right out for you. (laughs)
1: They
0: all think we have one. I feel like. Well, it is actually like almost one o'clock in the morning, your time. And I just really appreciate you. Thank you so much for your time and just for your friendship and for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And I have no doubt that this will be really helpful to a lot of people that are either in transition now or are thinking about transition because I know there are a lot of people that are like, oh, I have a job, so I should feel lucky, but I'm miserable. So thank you so much. I appreciate you.
1: Absolutely. I hope anybody can, you know, find this useful and it it wasn't a waste of time. And yes, always, always value your time and and (laughs) your podcast. Love it, love it, love
0: it. Thank you.